My name is Mark Madison, and I am so very proud to have Fujitsu General America as a sponsor. At Fujitsu, they're focused on partnering with the best distributors and contractors to ensure that each Fujitsu heating and cooling system brings infinite comfort to every end user. Sylvia Hample knows about adversity and overcoming odds. As a single mother at age 15, she went on to complete her education and earn a Bachelor of Business Administration and Aviation Management degree from Westminster College in Salt Lake City. Eventually, she became an air traffic controller, and almost after a decade of service to the Federal Aviation Administration, she left to raise a family and start a business in 1995. She founded Clearview Cleaning Service, a janitorial company, and at the time of the sale in 2020, Sylvia had grown Clearview Cleaning to $18 million in annual revenue with over 500 employees. Well, good morning. This is Mark Madison. Welcome to On Books and People. My special guest this morning is Sylvia Hampel from Boise, Idaho. Sylvia, how are you? I am doing great on this voting day. Yes. Did you vote? I will be voting right after we finish our podcast. I dropped mine off in the ballot box this morning in the rain. I'm I'm an adult now. It's I feel so old. Voting <laughs> 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 uh, something old people do. Oh. Mm. So so we met four years ago at Boise State. Has That's it been right. that long? Four years? Yeah, I think it has. I oh know. Time goes by so quickly. Ugh, when we were young and having a good time, time flew. Now it flies whether we're having a good time or not. Now, wait a minute. Speak for yourself. Some of us are still young, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was speaking at a BOMA luncheon at Boise State University, and you came up and bought, invested in that power pack, and then you signed up for the workshop, and that's how we got to meet. And I was so impressed with your story. And so I stayed in touch with you because I thought, you know, this lady needs to write a book. She's got such an, ex- an incredible story. So were you raised, born and raised in Idaho? No, I was actually born in California and raised in Utah. Okay. And then how did you end up in Idaho? Um, after I completed college, my first, um, my first place that I was assigned was Pocatello, Idaho. I was an air traffic controller then. And uh, the first place they assigned me to was Pocatello. So I started there. And then as I career progressed, Boise was my next stop. And Boise is where I've stayed. And you were working as air traffic controller, but then something changed. Yes, I got married. (laughs) (laughs) And then I got divorced. (laughs) So many changes in life, as life takes us through so many different changes. And you couldn't air traffic control and raise three kids at the same time. Well, I couldn't actually go back to air traffic because I had been out of the profession for too long of a time frame. Okay. And the federal government has a age cap. So once you surpass the age of 32, I believe it is, you can no longer go back into the field once you've left it. Okay. So, so I was too old at 32. How do you think that made you feel? Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. So what did you do? So I started cleaning. I had cleaned while I was in college and I thought I needed to make income fast. I had two little boys at the time 
five and three, my daughter, who I had had at a very young age, was just leaving for college. And I needed to make income. I wasn't going to be receiving any support from my ex-spouse. And so um, I thought, you know, what can I do to make money quickly? And I started cleaning people's homes. Wow. And, and then it evolved into Clearview Cleaning. Yeah. Tell so, us about that. Well, so I just started cleaning people's houses and then that evolved into them asking if I'd be interested in doing their office space. So I started cleaning their office space and I applied um, for some government contract cleaning. We were a recipient of the Idaho National Guard, which was really just a, a fantastic start. It was one of my first big accounts. Mm. And then I just started hiring employees from there. We just started growing. So it was 1995 that I started the company. I was still married at the time, just going through a separation, divorced and finalized everything in 2000. And then just away we went. Mm. And when I met you, you had 400 employees. Was that right? Yeah, I think we were close to 400 and I just sold the company in August of this year and we had close to 500 at the time of the sale. That's amazing. And you know, when we were we went to dinner that night and we were talking and I thought your story is like a Hollywood story. You you absolutely need to write a book. But as I listened to your story, it was clear what drove you. One of the things that drove you were your children, the love of absolutely. your kids. Absolutely. But what else drives Sylvia? Oh, that's a good question. Um, and let, let me give you an example. Uh, when somebody tells me I can't do something, that drives me crazy. And it drives me to prove them wrong. Okay, so mm -hmm. that's hardwired into my DNA. I don't know why, but it just is. And my kids have that same, same genome. Mm -hmm. So what is it that drives Sylvia in addition to your children? You know, for me, it was really interesting, I think, as far as Clearview went, the first employee that I hired was a refugee from Bosnia. She and her husband had just come over after the Bosnian War. And I don't think America really realized what that war was all about and how horrific it was. It was something that wasn't really talked about. So it was really interesting because as Clearview began to evolve, at first, it was really just this necessity to make a living and take care of my children. Right. And then it really became almost a necessity to find people work. I had so many, Boise, Idaho is actually one of the largest uh, intake in Bosnia and Serbia and Croatian refugees. We have mm. over 5,000 refugees from Bosnia. And they started coming to me once I hired Normina and her husband. And they kept asking me, do you have any more work? Do you have other work? I know people that need work. And so it really became this driving force for me to help people get jobs. Right. And so in order for me to help them get jobs, I had to find clients. And so it really just, yeah, Clearview really grew in its beginning stages because I wanted to make sure I could help people find employment. Oh, that's such a great story. <laughs> and the thing is, it goes back to that quote, you can have everything you want if you just help enough other people get what they want first. And mm -hmm. you, you found a need and filled it. But then you, uh, 
boy, listening to that, you really had to kick in the sales and marketing. How did you do that? Yeah, so I just hit the ground. I mean, we were fortunate in the sense that I had gotten the Idaho National Guard. I went door to door. I mean, literally cold mm. called on businesses all day long. I made a little pamphlet, a little brochure. I mean, it was so rudimentary and right. just walked into businesses and offices and anywhere I could and just, you know, handed them my pamphlet. And then word of mouth started going. You know, we were still doing people's homes and I just asked the people whose houses we were cleaning, do you have office space? Is, are you, would you be interested in getting a quote from us? And we just started growing. It was phenomenal, really. I mean, just the business that, I mean, in, in the beginning, I wasn't too concerned about really growing this huge company. I was really more concerned, like I said, about taking care of my kids and spending time with them right. and then finding people jobs. And so I didn't really go overboard. And then as my kids started growing, and I kept just having this flux of employees. And I found out that we were doing something really unique. The way we structured and organized the company was different from any other cleaning company in the country, our model. And it was really working. We were really pairing employees that worked for us with clients. And our clients really grew to just have these relationships with the employees that were cleaning their spaces. Right. And so it just became a real win for everybody. Wow. That's uh, it's like a matchmaker. Yes, really. Exactly. I used to call us the boutique of clean, you know, mm. I mean, you know, some people really like the deals and the savings that they get at Walmart. And some people really like that personal boutique style of shopping Right. And I presented a very boutique niche style of cleaning. Right. And all because you went door to door cold calling and started asking for referrals from everybody and anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we just kind of made a name for ourselves. We were also, you know, it was one of the first women owned janitorial companies. It's a very male dominated industry. Yes. And so that in itself started kind of leaving a mark as I joined different organizations. I joined BOMA where we met and you were the keynote. Right. I joined the chamber. I joined, you know, um, the boys and girls club board where I started giving back to the community. And then slowly people really just started hearing about us. Word we of never mouth. Really, yeah. Word of mouth. We never really did a lot of advertising or marketing. It was really word of mouth growth. Very organic. Isn't that great? That's the best way. So, so coming up, who were your mentors? Who are the people you looked up to? You joined all these organizations, but there were, were there some people that were kind of uh, that, you know, that you looked up to for advice? Yeah, that's a, I mean, a great question too, Mark. I mean, I think everybody in their lives has certain people. I'm sure you did as well as you're right. moving through, you know, and it could be a family member or close friends I mean, that you look to for advice. What I always did is I looked at people that were slightly more successful than I was. So if they, you know, in the beginning, obviously, when I had 10 to 20 to 25 employees, I looked to small businesses that maybe had 50 or 60 employees. Right. And I would meet with them and talk with them or ask if they'd have coffee with me. And then as we continued to grow, you know, later on, it became really the CEO and presidents of corporations. And I would sit and meet with them, you know, 
one in particular, we'd have coffee once a month and I would say, gosh, I've got these issues. And I had a very close friend. She had worked her way up through another company as their CFO and then took them on an IPO, brought them public and sold them. She was a great mentor to me and also a dear friend. And mm. I would just run things by her. And, and here's an interesting thing that I always try to say. You know, it's interesting now because now people come to me, right, and say, gosh, would you have time for coffee? Or, gee, I would love to pick your brain. <laughs> you know, I'd love to sit with you and hear some advice. And here's the thing that I've found. There are very few people that actually take the advice that is given and, mm. and do something with it. That was never me. When people of experience or people that I valued their advice gave me advice, I was not only very open to it, it may not have been something that I thought at that moment, oh gosh, this is great, but I would take it back and I call it sitting with it, sit with it. I would sit with it. I would sit with that idea. I would sit with that thought. And then I would just let it kind of like percolate. And I would then come to the conclusion that, you know what, that was a really great idea they just gave me and I would implement right. it. Right. And I, I think in life, and you've probably found this a lot while you're doing speaking engagements, I'm sure, there are so many people out there that ask for advice, or they'll say, I just want to do it different, or how did you get to where you are? Or, right. you know, gosh, I want to be there too. But then when you try to offer that advice, they just, they just kind of look at you and go, oh yeah, okay. And you know they're not going to take, take it away and do anything with it. Right. They're not going to change. And you're never going to hear from them again either. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the, that's the other piece. When I asked somebody, they said, well, read this book and then get back to me. So I devour the book and I get back to them and go, okay, here's what I got from the book. Now, what else you got? Exactly. Right? And, yep. and those men, for me, men became mentors because they saw a little of themselves in me and I was willing to do the heavy lifting to read the book, to go to the seminar, to implement that particular model, to make 20 calls a day, whatever it was. I'll never forget. I took a gentleman. I'm going to see him on Thursday. He's been a mentor of mine for over 30 years. And when I first started in sales, I said, you know, what do I need to do to be successful? This guy had been the national sales manager of the year at Xerox, super successful sales guy. And he said, if your boss says do two proposals, you do four. Mm -hmm. Four a week. That's all you got to do. So I did five. And six months later, I got back to him and I said, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm the top guy in my company. I'm the brand new guy. He goes, yeah, it's all about activity. Nobody expects you to do anything the first six months. And because I stayed in touch with him and because I got back to him and to your point, because I did, I sat with what he said, I let it percolate and then I took action. Mm -hmm. And anyone that does that, from the mentor's point of view, you can't help but continue to help them and be proud of them. Exactly. And, and my guess is you're still friends with those women all these years later. Oh, women and men. Yeah. Yeah. Both. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you, you, you did what they said. Exactly. It's so simple. It's almost absurd. It's like we could trip over that looking for something else. Well, but it's true. But when you really think about it, the odds of people actually implementing what someone that knows better really, really heeds that advice are actually very slim. It, it really is. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, here's an example too. Like someone once said to me, you know, when you invest your money, 
Would you invest your money with someone that had no money? Would you invest your money with someone that was poor? Right. And I just thought, oh, that's what a, what a, what a novel but simple idea, right? Right, right. You want to invest your money with someone that knows how to make money. So you want to take business advice from someone that knows how to do business, right? Or maybe knows how to speak or knows, knows their trade. And those are the people you should listen to and gravitate to. They've, they've, been, they've, they've already forged that path. Who've done what you want to do and been where you want to go. Exactly. I interviewed Dan Pointer. Actually, I paid him 500 bucks for an hour of his time to, uh, to ask him about the book business. He'd written 120 books. And at the time, I had like three. So I thought, well, this guy, he's written exactly 117 more books than I have. <laughs> it was one of the best investments I ever made. He gave right. me two hours of his time in Santa Barbara, and I took 20 pages of notes. And I'm almost, I'm almost astonished. Uh, I think the challenge is, you said it, most people don't apply. They, they want, I call it showering with the guys. They want to be in the locker room with the team. They just want to be on the team. But they don't want to do the work to be a starter or to be a star. Mm-hmm. Right? Also, you know, from a, from a standpoint of being successful, um, most companies, most successful companies, it's a 10 to 15 year period of mm-hmm. hard work. Mm-hmm. Starbucks, Starbucks did not become Starbucks overnight. Nope. They, they have been in business for over 20 years and they didn't become a household name until really about maybe 10 years ago. So right. they had already been in business for 10 years trying to get their product out there before they started becoming a household name. And, and it really does take a lot of work. And that's the other part that a lot of people don't understand. They look at successful people and they say, oh my gosh, you're so lucky to become so successful so quickly. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, my success was a 25-year journey of cleaning toilets. Yeah. There, was no, there was no luck involved in this. Yeah. The overnight sensation just took you 25 years to get there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, that's funny. So what books have had a big impact on your life? Wow, that's a great question too. Um, one of my all-time favorites, honestly, is Eckhart Tolle's um, The New Earth. I love that book. What was um, it about that book? You know, in that book, he really talks a lot about our egos and how they get in the way of what we really can accomplish what everyone can accomplish. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was just a great book. Recently, uh, another old favorite of mine that I loved was The Go-Giver. Uh. It's just a great book on obviously, you know, that giving back leads to success, right? Right. And I, I wish that our entire country was built on that premise. I wish all, and, and a lot do, but I wish everybody just would read The Go-Giver. I think it's a fabulous book as far as- talking about Bob Berg's book. Yes. Mm-hmm. I interviewed him a couple months ago. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, on this podcast. He's an old friend. We had the same publisher for a while. So, yeah, he's an amazing guy. And the thing is, not only is he the smartest guy in the room, but he's the most generous guy in the room. He practices what he preaches. Right. Yeah. So what a, what a small world, though, huh? Yeah. Well, now you're in an elite cool. category. You're you're on the list with Bob Berg. <laughs> well, I bet that was a great interview. 
I bet he had some good things to say. Oh, the best. He's so smart. And he's such a nice guy. He's such mm -hmm. a nice guy. So mm -hmm. what advice would you offer? And, I, and this is a very specific question. What advice would you offer women in business? Because you've obviously been very successful. Um, yes. The, I think the first piece of advice I would give is that regardless of what it is you're doing, take what you're doing seriously. Really look at it as a business. I think a lot of times, and maybe sometimes more women than men, um, they have an idea, but they don't believe in it, you know, in themselves, I think is what I'm trying to say with that is that you've got to believe in what it is you're doing and take it seriously. Really look at it as a business right. and cultivate it as a real business. It's not part-time, it's full-time. Yep. It is full-time and also really surround yourself with, with good people. I am so surrounded by the most amazing group of really friends and colleagues and community that have just propelled me along this path. It's, I mean, I feel so fortunate. I mean, to have started with nothing, I mean, really almost being homeless and of course having my daughter at the age of 16 and moving out and being on my own since then, I mean, being a, a homeless person in America and evolving to being a multimillionaire, uh, I mean, it's really the American dream, right? Mm -hmm. that, that anyone can do it. And I did it cleaning toilets. So right. there's that's something exactly, to be said. That's exactly why you need to finish that book. You're writing yeah. the book right now, right? Well, I've started, you know, I'm still yep. in the process of trying to find the ghostwriter and working all that out, but we're, 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 we're piece by piecing it. <laughs> It'll happen. Well, listen to Jason Lyler's uh, podcast that I did last month and uh, talk to him. He'll help you get it done. He's a, he's a wonderful, wonderful editor and he's so connected. Uh, I told you about the Stone Soup Group. We're launching that mm -hmm. hopefully mm -hmm. here this, this next week. So a uh, soft launch. Uh, but what, you, oh, go ahead. Well, this is a little off topic. We can save it for uh, a, a private conversation. I wanted to talk to you a little more about Stone Soup, but yes, yeah. we'll get there. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, get a hold of Jason. He's he's so connected, and he's the guy that'll help you get that uh, that book written. And and the thing is, uh, his his first boss, Charlie Jones, he wrote a book called Life Is Tremendous, which sold two million copies. And the book wasn't all that great, but Charlie gave two hundred thousand copies away. Right, that, and he was a brilliant marketer and a brilliant sales guy. But Charlie had somebody write that for him. He recorded his book into an, a cassette, and somebody wrote it for him. So, yeah, know, that's what to, I want. Yeah, mm -hmm. you don't have to be a writer to to write books. Uh, right. But you have to be a sales and marketing person, which you are. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the the book's just incidental. Somebody else can type all that stuff up, but it's your words and your experience. Exactly. You had, you had said you'd given a talk. Uh, and you felt a little overwhelmed at the, at the time because you thought, why, why am I here? Would you mind mm -hmm. telling that story? Yeah, so um, Washington Federal, which is just a phenomenal bank, and their president, Brent Beardall, they he's just taken that bank to just wonderful heights, and they're in eight different states, and they have a gathering of their top clients. They call it the CEO Forum every year they invite just 
unbelievable speakers to speak at this event. And it's very private and very exclusive. They're also one of our clients. They were one of our clients and still are today. But um, they have speakers such as the CEO of Starbucks, the CEO of Adidas, the CEO of Expedia has spoken. And they reached out to me and said a couple of years ago, you know, Sylvia, we'd like to have you be one of our speakers. Mm-hmm. And their keynotes have been Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank. Uh, Ruli Giuliani was there. I mean, this is just an elite group of people and their speakers are incredible. And when they reached out to me, I, I mean, I really started laughing. I said, wait a minute. I said, I've been to your forum now for four years. I know the caliber of the speakers that you have up on that stage. I'm not exactly sure why you want me up there. And they just said, you know, Sylvia, your story is really the American story. Like it is the American dream. It's this young girl who's poor, who has this baby. And then, I mean, really at the age of 16, I was homeless with my daughter. We had nothing. We lived on the floor of a friend's home for two weeks. I was trying to find an apartment and trying to go to school, working with this baby in tow. And then to later just, you know, put myself through school and get myself through college. And then years later, find myself back in a similar situation after getting divorced and having an ex-spouse who wasn't going to be present in our lives as a father or helping out financially. I was put back in that situation again. So I, I accepted and I went and spoke at this forum. And it was one of the most amazing experiences, honestly, I've had my children were all there. My children Mm. got to come and I was the only speaker that got a standing ovation from the crowd. (laughs) It was great. And there was so many, like not a dry eye. And everyone just said, what a story that you have told of just perseverance and overcoming and not letting anything get in your way of just really supporting your children. And now my kids are grown and they're all just so successful in their own right. But just, you know, I just told my story. And yes. It, yeah. Because and the CEO. It's, such a, it's a Hollywood story. It's a made for TV movie story. I'm telling you. The well, first the funny time you thing told is, me that, I was like, this, you have to write a book. Well, it was funny because they have, you know, several, they have several speakers. And so it was myself that year and then the CEO of Adidas that year. So there was two of us. And it was so funny because after I spoke, I, I was on stage first, then he was speaking and he came up and he said, really, I've got to follow this. And I just thought, (laughs) you know, I mean, I was like, it was just really an honor. It was really just a, it was a, it was a beautiful moment. Well, there, I've, I've probably received 50 standing ovations in, in my 24 years, and there's nothing quite like it. Yeah. Uh, honestly, it's, it's amazing. But you know what I like better than standing in, uh, ovations? Is standing invitations. People mm. standing in line waiting to buy your book and giving you their credit card so you, they can hire you to speak at their company. Yeah. And so I'm telling true. you, that's what's going to happen when you start speaking. That's what's going to happen when uh, you have your book. People are going to stand in line. They'll give you a standing ovation. They'll stand in line to buy your book. And then they'll say, can you speak at our company? Yeah, that'll be great. And I'm telling you that because 
it's the truth. You, you have, I, I told this to Kelly Scholes uh, over a year ago and it's same exact story, you know, Hollywood story, uh, underdog, his wife died at 49 and, you know, at 16, the judge said, you're going to jail or you're going to work for this plumbing company. And he built this amazing company and then sold it. And he's got a book out now and he's speaking. And you and Kelly have a lot in common because your story is an American story and it's the story of the underdog, right? And mm -hmm. uh, it's so inspiring. It's so inspiring. And when they meet you and when they hear the passion in your voice and, and, they, and they hear how you went from, you know, soup to nuts to to overcome all these obstacles, it's inspiring. And it makes us all want to work a little harder and be a little better. Well, and that's, that's ultimately it, right? I have to say, like, sometimes I wrestle with it. And I don't know if you did, Mark, because I think there's so many stories out there. And there's so many amazing people. And that was, and is a little bit of my struggle in the sense that I know so many of these refugees that have come from these war and torn countries that have lost everything that come here to America and rebuild their lives and work so hard to rebuild the lives that they lost. And I think especially right now as we're going through all this political turmoil on what's right and what's wrong, and what should we be doing? Sometimes I just think to myself, how would we feel if a country came and dropped a bomb on us or there was a political, I mean, a real political warfare where we lost everything right? and we're sleeping in cardboard houses and nobody wants to let us in or wants to give us a second chance. Mm -hmm. And I, and that's, I do struggle with that. I mean, there is that part of me that struggles, like what is right in this sense and what isn't right and how do we help people? And do you, how, how many people can you help? And it's, it's a hard, it's a hard struggle, but right. having had, I mean, we represented 20 countries at Clearview and just knowing their struggles and what they went through and, and really just how hard they work and how thrilled they are to be legally here in this country, being able to have that opportunity. It's really just, it was really kind of marvelous seeing what they did with their lives. We take so much for granted in this country because we've always had it. Mm -hmm. We do. We you really know, do. I didn't know we were poor when I was a kid until seventh grade when Julie Jacobs said, how come you wear such weird clothes? And I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I went home and asked my big sister, how come I wear such weird clothes? And she goes, because mom shops for you at the base. And then she said, I got your back. And a week later, she took me down to Nordstrom and Best. It was that back then. And bought the clothes that looked like everybody else. And then I fit in. But I think if, if you grow up poor, if you, if you grow up with the have-nots, right? And you get, a ch you get a chance, I think... Part of what drives me is I remember what it was like to be poor. I remember what it was mm -hmm. like to not, not have the cool clothes and the nice car. And, you know, I had mm -hmm. friends get cars in high school when they graduated. I got a new set of tires for a car that I'd paid for myself. Right. Right. And I, yeah. I you know, I, I'm grateful for that because not having any money and, you know, being the guy wearing the weird clothes, that's a, that's a motivator. You know, that was one of the things that drove me. So, <clears throat> A book's on the way. If somebody wants to talk to you about speaking, how do they get a hold of you? 
Yeah, they can reach out to me, um, obviously, via email. I'm at sylviar.idaho at gmail.com. Or they can certainly call me or shoot me a text. That's fine as well. Or they can reach out to you. And you can certainly direct them in my, in my way. Yes, absolutely. Uh, if, you, if you had a chance to say to somebody, look, here's the, here's the one thing I want you to remember. If you, do, if you just do this one thing, you're probably going to be successful. What would that one thing be? It would be don't think about the money or yourself as much as you think about the people that are there helping you along the way or working for you along the way. Because mm-hmm. I really do believe that when you give to others, you, you just get everything back 10 times over. Right. And I think when people are so centered on themselves, it's just, it's not, I just don't believe those, that there's as much success, you know? Well, and what you're really saying is you, what I'm hearing you say is you found a cause, you know, you found something that was close to your heart and you understood what these folks were going through. And so you gave them a chance and then you realized you had to go yeah, find the business. But you know what's funny, Mark? I didn't find it. It found me, right? right? Because, you know, I tell people when I'm doing speaking engagements, I always start by saying, you know, how many here, you know, when they were young, just really thought to themselves, when I grow up, I want to clean toilets. I just am so passionate about <laughs> toilet cleaning that that is, that is just, that is my goal in life is to be the best toilet cleaner out there. You know, and so the thing of it is, is that so often, I mean, I wanted to fly jets. Right. I wanted to be a, a, a jet fighter pilot and I was too short to fly. And so, you know, the thing is, is that so often we tell people, go out there and do what makes you happy. But I always tell people, you should be happy doing what you're doing. Right. Because sometimes you don't get to do what makes you happy, you know? I wanted to be a fighter jet pilot. I'd love to be Oprah, right? I don't, I don't get to have those things. But you know what? I wound up a cleaning lady. And I was happy doing it. And a darn and, good one. Yeah. And, and I did it well. And I did it with enthusiasm. And I did it with a smile. And so sometimes life doesn't give you exactly what you want to be doing. And so, you know, it really found me. Right. And and. And the people that came to work for me and, and continued along this journey with me, they, they found me. And so I was very blessed that, that that came together, but I was very open to it. I, I had friends in 2008, you remember when everybody was losing homes right. and the market just fell and everything was going to hell in a handbasket. And I had friends say to me, Sylvia, do you have any work? We're going to lose our home. And I said, yes, I do. I've got, I've got a couple of positions open. And they're like, oh, well, what is it? And I'm like, well, I've got these buildings. And, and they just stopped me and they're like, wait, wait, you mean cleaning? And I just looked at them and I was, yes, cleaning. That's what I do. That's my industry. That's my field. And they're like, oh yeah, no, no. I, I, just, I thought maybe you'd have something in the office open. And they literally lost their home because they were too prideful to take a job cleaning a building. Right. In order to save their home. Pride and prejudice. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. 
-hmm. Most most people aren't thinking they're rearranging their prejudices. <laughs> yeah. And, and they're not willing to go to any length to do whatever they need to do. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And again, yeah. it's like, I want what you have. I just don't want to work for it. Exactly. Or that I don't want to do exactly that it. kind of work. Exactly. Not That's that ex kind I of hear work. that all the time. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know what? So there's an attitude of entitlement there right? Mm -hmm, for you, sure. You don't really want that house or you do whatever you had to do to take care of it. Yeah. You know, I, I want to go back really quick, Mark, because there's two other books out there that are phenomenal that really speak to a lot of this. One of them I made my kids read and it's an old book. And I read it when I was 18 years old and it's called The Richest Man in Babylon. Right. It's George phenomenal. Clayson. Yes. And 10% of all I make is mine to keep. Yep. It's such a great book that teaches so, so such a great life parable on how to save money and make money and really to follow that guidance and the way that book was written. It's phenomenal. And then the other one was called The Millionaire Next Door. Yes. That is such a phenomenal book. And again, I read that. I'm a very avid reader. I read that when I was just starting this business. Michael Stanley. And it really speaks to uh, how people look at people in service industries, plumbers, cleaners, right. HVAC, uh, car mechanics. And they just see us as, you know, I mean, garbage collectors, all these people that are working in these service fields where we glorify doctors and lawyers and right. yet they're so in debt coming out of college and have this reputation uphold that they immediately buy a Mercedes and go out there right. and get, you know, this great house and they're in debt up to their ears because they have this image to uphold. Well, see, I never did. Right. I was right. just the cleaning lady. I right. really was just the cleaning lady. Yeah. And so here's all this money. I'm just stockpiling because nobody expected Sylvia to have a fancy car or to have fancy clothes or a fancy house. She's a cleaning lady. Yeah. Well, now I'm not the cleaning lady anymore. Well, and he says in that book, they thought for sure that it must be where you live that defines millionaires. It turned out that wasn't it. Then it must be the car you drove. And that exactly. wasn't it. Exactly. Turns out it was a guy who had the 15 to 25 employee service business who worked yeah. out of his home, his, yeah. wife's, his wife's clipping coupons, right? And mm -hmm. one day he sells the company and says, honey, we're millionaires now. And the wife says, that's nice. Help me clip these coupons. Exactly. <laughs> I just love that story from that book. It's just like, it's the, it's the regular Joe or Jane mm -hmm. that started the service business. And it's so funny because now that I've sold the company and my net worth is so you know, large, obviously, it's funny because still one of my favorite stores to go shop at is TJ Maxx. Or, consi or consignment stores, yeah. you know, people will be like, where did you get that? I'm like, oh, I got it at a consignment store, you know? <laughs> okay, it's I just I just got a, no got a notice. We've got to wrap it up because we're running okay. out of time. You uh, and I could talk for another hour easy. We sure could. Well, Absolutely. we'll just have to have you back on. And we're going to do everything we can to help you get that book out to the world. Well, it's thanks, such an Mark. I so message. appreciate you. Thank you. Oh, you're you're the cool breeze in a stuffy room, Sylvia. Thank you so much. This podcast is brought to you by the team at Fujitsu General America. And like this podcast, they're focused on education and development. From the day they sold their first comfort system in North America, they've been unwavering in their focus on training. It doesn't matter if it's application, installation, or service. A better trained technician brings better value to the homeowner. So when you're looking for infinite comfort, 
think Fujitsu. Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or piqued your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454 or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association or order one of my books, simply go to my website, www.sparkingsuccess.net. And remember, make it a great day unless you have other plans.